Hi, it's Jeannie. And I want to acknowledge that, yes, the podcast has gone missing from your feed for a little while here. (laughs) It was because we are figuring out how to stretch our already pretty tiny budget further so we can make more episodes. Oh, and also because I got COVID last month, which was just a real party. So much fun. But here's the good news. Season three is not over. Today is the first part of a two-part episode about voice policing at work and how basically everybody but cisgender white dudes get told at some point in their careers that they just don't speak correctly. (laughs) There is a lot of ground to cover here. So in two weeks, we will drop part two, which is chock full of listener stories about this issue. Wow, so many of us have experienced voice policing at work. For now, though, here is part one. This is Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. A podcast that knows, yes, your workplace is sexist and racist. I'm Eula Scott now. I'm Jeannie Yandel. And if you like the show, please help us make it. Become a patron at patreon.com slash BTSW. Mm-hmm. And you'll get all kinds of goodies like stickers and mugs and extra bonus conversations with us. It's really worth it. Yula, mm-hmm. do you remember way back in the before times in like 2013, this term that seemed to pop up everywhere, vocal fry? You know, when I hear that, I don't think of it as like a 2013 term. I would imagine it being older. But I mean, yeah, I've heard it. Tell me more about it, though, because I can't say I've like delved into it. So vocal fry is uh, it, it's a term for the way people talk to lower their voice. Um, And there's like a creaky thing that happens when when people get to a lower register. Um, And so I'll here's an example of vocal fry. Um, Hi, my name is Jeannie Yandel. So that's vocal fry right there. Yeah. And oh, and I feel like I should point out that like people do this all the time. It's really common. So if you've ever listened to a little show called This American Life, I don't know if you've heard of it before. Oh, my fave. Yeah. Ira, my love. Yeah. Ira, your love does vocal fry all the time like and he's talked about how he uses it and stuff but back in like 2013 2012 something like that um vocal fry was leveled as like a criticism particularly I hope you're sitting down against women Mm. younger women in particular like it was this thing like one of the gazillion reasons that people hated Kim Kardashian and her her sisters (laughs) yeah 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 I mean I have other reasons for that but you know fair and hate's a strong word Yes, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, there are plenty of reasons that women get criticized, you know, especially for how they sound, right? For me, I can't say I've really been criticized as an adult for how I sound, but I'm, I'm hyper aware of it, like hyper aware of it. I remember going to my cousin's wedding and I'm probably like 13, 14 and a, an aunt said to me, oh, you finally grew into your voice. Mm. And I have never forgotten that. <laughs> I can tell you exactly where I was standing on this planet. Like literally I'm standing like by this tent kind of in the parking lot because in my mind I was thinking it was the first time I ever thought about how people were taking me in, you know, voice wise. But also it was the first time someone had ever said to my face that I had a deep voice. You know what I mean? And I was and to say I was growing into it as if these adults were having private conversations about the way I sounded because it did not fit a little girl. To have such a strong, deep voice, right? That's so interesting. And I always think about it, but I've also, you know, I think about it as helpful because in radio, you know, 
it's good for us to sound uh, masculine in ways, I guess. But it's really like it's it's funny you say that because my whole career in radio, the criticism I've gotten has been like I have emails I've saved from people telling me that I sound like a little girl, that I sound stupid, that I sound like a valley girl, which is like a very (laughs) 90s or early 2000s criticism of how girls speak and how women speak. Like, that's straight out of the 80s. Sorry, because, I mean, it doesn't fit you at all. Yes. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I will also say one other thing, which is that I asked our Facebook group if they've ever been policed specifically by coworkers for how they sound. Guess what happened? Everybody was like, no, no way. Never have I ever. Yeah. The whole group was like, that doesn't resonate with me at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) No, we got a ton of responses, Um, (laughs) which we will actually get into in part two of this episode. But first, we're talking about why this happens, why some people feel so comfortable telling us we sound young or unprofessional or stupid or they just can't listen to us. Right. And why it's people of color and women who are on the receiving end of this policing. Yeah. So. Let's say hi to our excellent guests for this two-part episode. Mm-hmm. Megan Figueroa is a linguist, writer, and research scientist. Carrie Gillen is also a linguist and the language planner and researcher for the Squamish Nation in British Columbia. And they are also the co-hosts of the excellent podcast, The Vocal Fries, the podcast about linguistic discrimination. Hi. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so good to be here. We're yeah, so thanks excited for having to us. have you. Mm-hmm. Let, let me start by saying you all sound great. Well, thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's how we should just approach every woman that we come in contact with, just to reinforce the idea that you sound wonderful no matter how you sound. Oh, my gosh. Quickest it's episode true. ever. That's all we have to do. Thanks it's so much, true. you two. but let's get into some questions so so you're women who host a podcast and have jobs so we you know Jeannie and I don't want to jump the gun and make an ass out of ourselves but we want to assume that you've gotten feedback like really crappy feedback on how you sound is that true Uh, not for me so much since I've been an adult when I was a kid my parents told me to stop saying like so much because I'm of that generation that I sounded kind of like a valley girl <laughs> even though yes I grew up in BC not LA but you know it was very widespread at the time but Megan has more more recent examples yeah in my PhD program we had a class called professionalism that was supposed to prepare us for a world uh, post PhD and I was told that I need to get rid of my vocal fry if I ever want to be taken seriously Mm, but, but Ira does it. I don't, okay, I don't get it. If Ira does it, why can't you? People don't hear it in men. Wait, what? <laughs> they just don't notice it. It's true. It's true. Yep, there are studies on this. And it goes along with other studies that show when women speak up in, you know, meetings on in the workplace that people will have perceived them to have been talking longer than they actually were. What? Yeah. This whole episode is Eula and me. We're just going to keep going. Wait, what? Yeah. And yeah, and if it's, it's something like around, I wish I could remember the exact stat, but I think it's around 17% when people start thinking it's 50-50. So when women speak or when girls speak in classes, 17% of the time, it's perceived as 50-50. So anything more than that, and it's perceived as the girls or the women are dominating. Wow. Oh my gosh. In my head, I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe men are talking I mean, I'm trying to do the math quick, right? But it's, I can't believe men are talking, what, is that 73% of the time? 83? 83. 83% of the time? I mean, if you look at, like, 
movies, like, yeah, men dominate in the movies, right? They're, usually their speaking time is way more than the women's. But in, but in like, the workplace, it may not be that ca- That may not be the case. So, for, for example, in my workplace, it's almost all women. So the, I think there's mm-hmm. two men. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. of course women are dominating the conversation. We're just more of them. But, yeah, in most workplaces, probably, yeah, men are dominating. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about consequences of this kind of thing. So... And first, I wanted to mention the tagline of your podcast, which is, you know, about linguistic discrimination, which means like if you don't know what that means, it's the unfair treatment of someone because of how they use language or the way they sound. And so I'm wondering what the consequences are of linguistic discrimination, like the kind of stuff that we're talking about here, aside from the fact that it just like obviously it feels like garbage to get that kind of feedback. But what other consequences are there? for linguistic discrimination. I mean, the same as any other form of discrimination. So maybe you're not going to get that promotion because you're interpreted as being too shrill or mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't get that award or what, you know, whatever, whatever possible thing out in the world that you could get or not get, it's going to be influenced by all of the things of, of your identity, which are often also encoded in your voice. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it, you know, not to be dramatic, but it's a matter of life or death in certain institutions like law. What do you mean by that, Megan? Well, in in a courtroom, you know, we had the example of Trayvon Martin's friend, um, Jantel, who Mm -hmm. the jurors were saying that they did not understand her. And so what if (laughs) jurors are saying that I don't understand this witness, even though she is speaking English? Um, she actually speaks three languages and they come away feeling like she's less trustworthy mm. because they can't understand her. Yeah. Hey there, this is Jeannie just butting in really quickly to say that Trayvon Martin's friend, who is the chief prosecution witness, her name is Rachel Jontel. We just wanted to clarify that. Okay, back to the episode. And that's t- tied into our perceptions of black women, of of minoritized people it's it's a proxy for who we find trustworthy or not i remember this story and i i didn't watch so when trayvon martin's trial happened i really was not paying attention and it wasn't because i didn't care i think i just was um not plugged in at the time Mm -hmm. and so i remember hearing this story and going back years later to listen to her interview because I was thinking like, well, what, well, what had happened? I mean, I know, you know, I had very little hope in the system anyways, but in listening to it, I remember thinking she's nervous. She's clearly like as nervous as a person could be in, in the climate that she was in. And it was just coming through her expression. And for me, we want everything delivered to us on the perfect platter, right? We're never willing to figure it out. She was a baby. She was yes. so young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a scary thing to be a part of. I mean, that was, you know, on TV every day. Yeah. And she was frustrated. Yes. Rightfully. Yeah. 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 Another another case that's life and death. Uh, as soon as Megan said life and death, I thought, oh, yeah. In the medical field, like you might not get the the right mm-hmm. treatment and that might kill you oh, it's so true i mean we know for example uh, that black women in the united states are much more likely to die in childbirth than white women are it's it's also their like the their their identity their physical identity but i believe it's also partially like their uh linguistic variety you know gets interpreted in a certain way that makes it more likely that they're not going to get the treatment they deserve 
That yeah. also reminds me, there's also housing discrimination. So there's been many mm-hmm. studies about this, that the way that you sound on the on the phone will determine if the person, the lease, lease officer or whatever, wants to like rent you the place or not. Mm. Yeah. Invite you in to see it. They'll say, oh, sorry, we don't have any more. If they perceive you to be black. Yeah. Or if they perceive you to be white, they might actually say, oh, you know what? You want to go to this other place. This, right. is, this is not the location is, for you. Yeah. That was actually newsworthy a couple of years ago. They had undercover video footage of of this leasing person telling white people, you should go somewhere else because this is a bad neighborhood, basically. Yeah. There's actually a documented pattern of that that um, Chicago Public Radio looked at a few years ago. Uh, they basically, they followed, well, they followed uh, mortgage loans in different neighborhoods of the city. And they were able to sort of, to work backwards to figure out not only who was getting the highest loans, but also like, you know, which who is getting driven to which neighborhoods uh, for per- for purchasing houses. Yeah. All of these real life and death consequences when it comes to linguistic discrimination. But Carrie, you've said before that we actually get rewarded for being assholes about language, specifically yes. about being assholes to other people about language. Yes. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, I think an easy way is just to like watch people on Twitter. They like lift each other up for like calling people out for the, uh, for typos, for example. And you know, it's it's it feels really good when someone's um, shitting on like an obviously bad individual and being like, "You mean your, <laughs> not your." It feels good, but it's irrelevant. <laughs> Stick to the content. Stick to what they're saying. That's vile. Don't fall into the trap. I know it feels good and people will support you, but it is it is not good. A good juxtaposition example of this is, uh, I hate to say his name, but uh, Donald Trump. A lot of times people would, would say he's not even speaking English. And so the problem with that is that it hurts other people when we say that about Donald Trump. It doesn't hurt him. There's so many things that we can critique him on. But, for example, when um, journalist Yamichi Alcindor, she had said something um, on MSNBC or something, and then Tucker Carlson played that clip on his show and said, what is she even saying? I don't understand her. What kind of grammar or sentence structure is this? Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, Yamichi sounds like the quote-unquote standard American English, um, but still, because she's a black woman, she is perceived as not sounding right mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. how something like saying donald trump doesn't speak english will actually hurt other people because this is something that we hear and we think can actually be true and of course we're not actually going to think right. it's true of donald trump's of white cis men we're going to think it's true of people that have historically been oppressed and marginalized right that's a good point. Yes. But it's a trip to think about how language plays into it. And what you said about Twitter hit me so much because I used to be a person that would correct for language. Me and too. And I didn't think it was. Yeah. And I didn't think, I thought I was being helpful. Yep. And, um, and I heard somewhere once that doing that was just speaking, was just an ego boost. It was just mm. about the person who does the correcting. And I completely stopped doing that. And I, and, you know, and sometimes I still write things wrong, but I just, I mean, I hope that the, I think about who cares. Yeah, it's a well actually that's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, right, because I feel like, I mean, a lot of us have been the a-holes in this situation. A lot of us have been the assholes that are correcting folks for because we thought we we worked so hard to get it right, right? Have have either of you ever been the, I mean, well, I mean you, you said you have been the a-hole, Carrie. You said that you've had these moments where you're correcting like me on the internet. Have you had times where you're doing that, Megan? Oh, I've... I've definitely been the asshole. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, I can remember when I started and I think it is kind of poignant and kind of points to the the actual message here because I am the perfect age to have come of age with AOL Instant Messenger and being very much on the internet. And I remember when someone corrected me on AOL Instant Messenger and how bad I felt about myself. Mm. It felt so, so bad because I thought, this is the one thing I'm supposed to be good at. Everyone says I'm good at writing. Why am I bad at this? Um, And so that's when I started doing it. And so it makes me wonder how many people that I know are good people, like just in my life, are doing things (laughs) maybe related to language because they were hurt at one point about it. Because it's not just about mm-hmm. language, it's about who you are. It's it's a proxy for something much mm. bigger. I feel like we covered this a little bit, but I just want to make it super clear that, I mean, like, I'll own up to the fact that I've definitely been a grammar asshole. Like, I've definitely policed people before. <laughs> Eula's owning up to it. Like, everybody, I feel like everybody is owning up to yeah. it. You know, I work as an editor. And so, in a way, like, it's, like, professionally, I'm rewarded for being that person. Yeah. We all are. You know, I, ugh. but yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel like we should really be clear here. Like, what are the institutions and structures that we are upholding when we do this? I don't think people really think about sort of who they're siding with when they become the grammar police. I mean, part part of the problem is English is like solidified in this form that is very different from how it's pronounced right? There's lots of historical reasons for it, but it's an unusual language in that way. French is kind of similar. But like, if you look at other languages, like Italian, what you see almost always is what you pronounce. There's like a few tweaks, but it's pretty straightforward. And so part of it is, oh, you have to be very educated. You have to spend a lot of time learning all, like, how do you spell this word? Uh, why are there so many homophones? Like, it's a lot, right? And so you are, yes, yeah, supporting the highest part of the hierarchy, the social hierarchy, which generally is white straight men who are very wealthy or at least somewhat wealthy. (laughs) Right. Another way to say this would be that you are actually upholding white supremacy Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. thinking about from our very origins, the boarding schools, the for indigenous folks was trying to eradicate their languages when it came to enslaved peoples, the plantation owners got nervous when they heard them speaking in African languages. So they incur- they forced English on all of them so that they didn't think they were plotting against them. So there are very foundational things that goes back to language, but ultimately back to upholding white supremacy and settler colonialism. I mean, it's, it's upholding some very dark, gross institutions. And classism. And the reason why I want to bring that up is because like this, this all goes back to the UK. This goes back to England. This goes back to the class structure that existed at the time. And, you know, as, as uh, the middle class started to actually even exist or the mercantile class even started to exist, suddenly it became very important that you really knew how to spell. Like, sure, you can spell, like, sure, you can write somewhat, but you can't write like us. We've learned Latin, you know? So it's like, a bunch of different dark things um, working together. Oh, so 
Sorry, I'm just feeling this so much because the part where you said like we're, you know, we're upholding this class, the middle class, and these people. In my head, I thought the people that won't let me in, right? You know, yes. Like, um, why am I aligning myself so much with the oppressor? You know, that's what I struggle with. I'm taking that. I'm taking that thought in for the first time. I don't know if I've ever thought about my voice this much, you guys. I'm really receiving this. Um, Good. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys. Yeah. So why do you think we care so much about how other people talk and whether they use the right version of their? Or, you know, why do we make a big deal out of this, you think, today? Like, if we're if we're in the 2022s, we're not in the, you know, the Gilded Age. Oh, my new favorite show. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. It's yeah, on the list. It's very good. And there's a, oh, and there's a baddie who's writing the most, and she's a black woman. Okay, I'm not to watch that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so why do we care about how other people use language? I, I don't know. We're trained to be controlling about it, and it's really kind of gross right like so uh, like you I'm also uh, like I edit um it's part of what I do and uh yeah so like there's a time and a place for some of this stuff but you want to be clear when you're especially when you're writing like you can misunderstand someone so much easier I think in text than in um speech but but setting all that aside just like interpersonal stuff I it's I don't know like why why does it matter if you say um, I don't know, use couch versus sofa or <laughs> pot versus soda or whatever. Like, but we, we really have these weird, like emotional responses. Like, oh no, that's the wrong word. You got to use the word I have. I don't, I'm not entirely sure I can fully unpack what's going on there, <laughs> except that it's got something to do with control. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I what do, do you think, Megan? Yeah, I do think, like I said about Hill Instant Messenger, um, I feel like there are some people who do it because it does give them a sense of control over the situation. I think that, you know, when it comes to the grammar stuff, I w- was explicitly doing it to, to have some control over the situation and, and let people know that I'm here and I'm a contender, you know, kind of thing. Like, don't take... Look take, at how smart I am. Take me seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take mm-hmm. me seriously. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, when it comes to stuff like these implicit things that I have to like stop and think about, like with Southern, you know, how I perceive Southerners or whatever, that's just so ingrained. And I think some people actually think they're being benevolent by pointing things out like, hey, you want to be on TV one day, person from the South, you should get some some accent coaching. Yeah, but the problem with that is there might be right. It's awful. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It keeps reinforcing itself. Um, so it, it does become basically a truth of our society because, again, it's like the whole thing that this is all by design. It is because it upholds the things we were talking about earlier. It reinforces itself by actually being true. To get ahead, you have to sound a certain way. And that's what we hope like our podcast will help people to stop and think about these things. And hopefully changes can happen by people that have all sorts of different positions in workplaces will be like, Oh, I see what I'm doing there. I'm about to hire someone, so I'm doing all of this, all of these interviews. I see that I'm perceiving this woman as having valley talk and not being, or uh, valley, like sounding like a valley girl. I don't think she's as smart as this other woman. Wait, why do I think that? Look at her credentials or whatever. Look what she told me in the interview. Why do I think that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so this far we've been talking a lot about language and how it we when, when it's written. But I mean, of course, this is also about how our voices sound. So there's a whole other piece there. So why, why is there so much policing on yeah. just the way our voices sound at all? Yeah. Is this also a control thing or what? 
I mean, I guess so. I mean, part of it, I think, is just like we like people who sound what like what we're used to. So it's really easy to listen to some people who are from our own region um, or who are represented a lot on the media. Right. So there's certain American accents that I grew up with because I was on TV all the time and other ones less so. And so I it's there's at least one accent in the United States that I'm just like, oh, this is, just feels wrong. It just feels really wrong. And it's it's I know it's me it's all me it's got nothing to do with the actual accent so i i think part of it is just like what we're used to and what sounds like us and what sounds like someone else so i i mean you know i've talked about my job a couple of times but i when we were thinking about this episode i kept thinking about like when i first started in public radio and in order to be allowed on the air i had to pass a voice test um, it, which was common practice. It was, it's been, co- it was common practice for years in public radio. And the advice that I got to help me pass the voice test was to pick a person who was already on the air and try and model my voice after them, like try and sound like them. Um, which is totally what I did. Um, I also know somebody, I used to work with somebody who had to go to a vocal coach to change the way she sounded so that she could get on the air too. And she had to pay for it herself. But my point with that is it seems like kind of the way that we talk about quote unquote fixing the problem is a voice policing is that the individuals being policed have to change the way we sound <laughs> like this is an opportunity to level up or get better or whatever. I mean, like, I feel like we keep asking you these huge structural like, why are things so awful questions? But like, why is that the thing? Why is it like, hey, you just fix the way you sound. We always want to fix things on an individual level rather than structurally. I mean, look at the COVID response. I mean, okay, yes, vaccination is um, a societal level, but it's still more an individual person. Like, are you willing to get it or not? And if you are, yay. And if not, well, mm, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, but it's, 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 it's dangerous, but it's um a, still an individual decision rather than a structural one. And where, and masks is also very individual, right? But if we actually, I don't know, did something to clean the air, that's a structural thing We that's very expensive. So governments basically have to take the lead on that and they don't want to do that. So they are not. Uh, so this, it's just easier to put the burden on an individual and sometimes it is um, helpful to get some vocal training just to be like, oh, I can be a better at speaking, but it shouldn't only be that. That should like be, it should be both parties, you know, doing some work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, I, I mean, I'm kind of a burn it down person. So I'm like, uh, <laughs> you're in uh, good company. <laughs> uh, we need to, we need to start perceiving people differently mm. because Again, going back to the workplace, I mean, we have studies on the fact that vocal fry hurts women in job interviews. What needs to happen is that woman needs to go into that interview and be able to speak like me, who uses vocal fry, and feel comfortable with that. And the person that is interviewing me can have thoughts about how I might, you know, oh, I wonder if she's as smart as whatever. Uh, They can have those thoughts because, I mean, they're ingrained, but they need to stop and think, why am I thinking that? Why is it, you know, why am I struggling with her voice and find it annoying? That's what needs to start happening. People need to be, the people that are hiring, the pe- these type of people in higher positions need to start 
giving a fuck <laughs> about this. Mm-hmm. Jeannie, I'm going to tell the story about the first time me and Jeannie thought about this episode. Yep. We um, were in the middle of creating the show, and the first person that we brought on the show did not end up on an episode. So we have this audio, but we've never made use of it. And it's not because we didn't like her voice. It's just because, you know, the math and science of, you know, literally not having a show yet and trying to make an episode without even knowing what it was going to be called. <laughs> and um, after we did the interview, uh, we come in and I'm brand new to, you know, the real structure of KOW, the real structure of a newsroom. And so as we're talking, I just said, oh, I loved her voice, which is true. It had She had the most youthful voice I've ever heard on a grown woman. So she's probably in her 50s. Guaranteed she sounds like she could be a teenager on the phone. And I thought it was such a beautiful, youthful, like, gift because of how, you know, voices are whatever. You just get handed one and you don't know what you're going to get. And our producer on the show at the time, producer, editor on the show. Our editor time, on the show. Yeah. yeah. Said, um, oh, you liked her voice? Really? I thought it was shrill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> I remember like, in my, you know, a big record stop of like, what the fuck? This is a show <laughs> where we're talking about the balance of women and <laughs> we're trying to create a place where we see each other as whole people. And your response to a compliment, truly, a, like, a, you know, an opportunity to, to, to see yourself is to f- fall right into it's not enough what, what I want and it's too much of what I don't want. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. I think about how, like, what you're saying, Megan, is just so true that more of us need to think about how unique a voice comes across and the message that comes across. Because this woman, and, you know, I'm just not saying her name because I feel like it's her business, is is powerful. Super powerful. <laughs> the only word we could use, of, like, I can't try to come up with another name for it, Jeannie. No, I mean, so, like, when In we charge? say powerful, yeah, totally. When we say powerful, what we mean is she's... Uh, enacted like she's the powerhouse behind a bunch of state and federal legislation including paid family leave in a bunch of places right she's written two books she runs you know she runs this massive ngo like she is totally powerful Mm -hmm. and the other part of that story is afterwards she pulled us aside eula do you remember this and she said i just published my book do you think that I need vocal coaching before I go in and record the audio version? Which means that she, she at like, she was nervous about how she sounded. Like Mm -hmm. she also was afraid of how people were going to perceive her Mm -hmm. because of this, you know, the way that she sounded, which just infuriates me every single time I think about it. That and the shrill comment, which I had forgotten about until you brought it up. Oh, that drives me crazy. Now I'm going to have to go Would sit you... in a corner and do some deep breathing because it pissed me off. Like that's, <laughs> For real. Ugh, there's a reason I forgot it's because it made me so mad. Yeah. And you know, when I'm thinking about it now, Jeannie, I think the reason why I liked her voice so much because of the, it was because of the juxtapose of who she, how she presents and how much her, and her voice is different. And I think for me, because I'm, that Scorpio me loves a mystery. In my mind, she's like a, she's like a undercover agent with her voice. You know what I mean? Like this, this, like this soft, you know, uh, baby voice, not, not baby. I'm trying to youthful. You could hear joy in her voice. Like, boom. Yes. Like there was a range of emotion in her voice that like, certainly like I've interviewed eight gajillion people who talk about public policy. 
I don't hear anybody sound that joyful about public <laughs> policy, mm-hmm. but she was like jubilant about it. And mm-hmm. it was so exci- it was like, oh, my God, like it was so exciting to hear that mm-hmm. in somebody's voice. So, you know, we're getting we're going to get into like tactics in part two. But first, do we agree that making people change the way they sound is not a tactic? It's definitely not a tactic for the work. No. I mean, I can see like as an actor, you need to have like a broad array of vocal skills or like you're a singer. Like there are some pl- there are some jobs where I think it's OK, but. Yeah, for most, the vast majority of us, no, you should not have to change the way that you talk. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That shouldn't be the... You have to learn a bunch of jargon, but... Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, jargon. But like, you shouldn't have to change the way you sound as like a barrier towards advancement. No, that's, that is actively discrimination. And mm. this it's a huge problem because um, linguistic discrimination isn't actually illegal. Um, you, there are ways that you can try to to bring it um, to court, but it's notoriously impossible to prove. And so this is a very dangerous place to be in, I think. So talking to anyone that has any sort of power in a workplace, you don't want to fuck with that because, you know, like, it, yes, it would be really hard for someone to sue you over this, but, um, you know, you're playing in this, like, you're on some really shaky disgusting ground when you are doing this because um again going back to the idea that this is all just a proxy for who the individual is but it's interesting like the shrill conversation is interesting because is there even anything closely equivalent to that on for men's voices no there's nothing right so you're just saying oh she's a woman (laughs) with maybe a high-pitched voice i'm not even really 100 sure what shrill is supposed to mean these are just value judgments that have nothing to do with the content that all um, dialects and language varieties are equal in and what you can communicate. So they're there's they're really kind of meaningless, to, you know, to talk about. Um, it's a fun thought experiment. But, you know, ultimately, everything's equal. Um, we had a lot of personal reasons for it, too. That's like it reminds me of my dad, you know, like so. The all of these things are tied into the voice again, showing you that it's a proxy for for bigger things for your identity. Yeah. It also feels like a useful thought experiment now that you talk about this notion of like you need to ask yourself why you have a reaction to somebody's voice. Like you know, you could interrogate why you have a positive reaction to somebody's voice, which also means you can interrogate why you have a negative reaction to somebody's oh, yeah. voice, right? Like that seems yeah. like kind of a good tool to be aware of. For this yeah i do it all the time that seems like a really good tactic genie oh why thanks <laughs> thank you. Do, you do you guys have any other like individual like tactics for individuals you know like if everybody out here is just you know basing it on their personal experience what can i do to be heard all on my own you think or let other people be heard <laughs> yeah it's it's tough because yeah especially in the workplace it's like ugh, precarious right like standing up for yourself too much especially if you're a woman or a person of color or have some other issue that would be like people would judge you for, then it's tough. Like, are you um, willing to risk your job? Right. Because often you have to if you really want to stand up for yourself. And that's not cool. Right. It needs to come from higher, unfortunately. Yeah. So if you're at a higher level, if you have some power, that's really where your individual decisions actually can make a difference. Right. You you can be the person saying it's not OK to judge someone for the way they sound. It's not okay to judge them for the variety of whatever language they use. It's just not okay. Right. 
You could be like, listen, Chad, you just spoke over <laughs> Elizabeth. Right, right, can right. We, can, we, can we see what she has to say or let her finish? Mm-hmm. That's valuable, truly. And you could, I think another tactic too might be just having some like support uh, from other people and like sharing these things with people you feel safe with because you'll probably hear that they are like, yeah, I know, <laughs> you know. That's true. There's powers in numbers, which is, you know, why unions matter. Right. So if there's a bunch of you who have the same, like, issue, oh, I'm being judged because I sound shrill, <laughs> you could, you come band together and, and uh, demand change. I'm so grateful. This conversation has been amazing. And there's a lot to talk about with voice policing. So we're actually splitting this into two parts. In part two, we're going to hear some of the stories and questions we got from listeners about this and talk more with Carrie and Megan. Excuse me, Mom? Yes. I didn't oh, tell you a long time ago today. Oh, because I wanted to know what this is. Okay, so can you let me say this one line, Libby? Come stand next to me and you can read it with me. Okay. Carrie Gillen and Megan Figueroa are linguists and co-hosts of the Vocal Fries podcast. Thank you both, and we'll see you next episode. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. I you wanted me to say it. Yeah, I'm glad you said it. Go ahead, you can say it. You can say, um, Thank you both. See you next episode. Thank you both. See you for your sexist workplace is an independent podcast. Our senior producer is Kyle Norris, and our show is mixed by Bethany Denton. Our production partner is Studio 2B Seattle. This podcast was co-founded in partnership with KUOW Puget Sound Public Radio and the University of Washington. We were inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club by Jessica Bennett. Our music is by Kessia Gordon, and our brand design is by Tio. You can find Teo on Instagram at T-E-O dot underscore Dora, which is spelled D-O-R-A. And huge, massive, gigantic, big, big thanks. Big, big. To Phyllis Fletcher, Bree Ripley, and Dana Bialik. Thank you all so much. You can get in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BTSW Podcast or by emailing btswpodcast at gmail.com. And if you love the show, Help us make it. Patronize us. Become a patron at patreon.com slash btsw. And as long as you're at your computer or your phone, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And then tell a friend about our show. Word of mouth is actually the biggest way our audience grows, which is extremely cool. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys. Keep fighting the good fight. Bye, everyone. Bye, talk to you soon. You guys can, I'll, I'll mute myself and figure this out how, as we set up for two. How <laughs> How's my recording? It's going very well. And I also want to tell you, I feel cool. Oh, I'm glad. That makes me happy. Cry.